Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want to talk some more about God's will, God's way, God's word, the will of God. And this is the third in a series, and I know that some folks are joining us maybe for the first time after a while. So go online and check out those messages, download them, and I think you'll appreciate what we're saying today even more. We mentioned to you, if you recall earlier, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, the Bible says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. One day I read that verse and it just seemed to, it just seemed to jump off the page at me. God works, how? According to the counsel of his will. God does not need your advice on how to be your God. God is not interested in your opinion. You can offer it, but most likely it will be rejected. <laughs> neither, listen to me, neither is God asking you to chase your dreams or pursue your goals because he has designed a destiny for you that will fit you like a glove because you were made for his purposes. God, listen carefully, a lot of people just need to really embrace this. God is not working according to your will. Jesus didn't say, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He said, your will. God is working according to his will. Are you listening to me? Many Christians are trying to believe for something. They're trying to use their faith for something that God never promised. As F.F. Bosworth once said, faith begins where the will of God, we're talking about the will of God, faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know God's will, you can't have any faith, and the just shall live by faith. So without the knowledge of God's word, you can't live the Christian life. You see, it's so important, see? Faith that isn't based on the truth isn't faith at all. It's fallacy, it's fantasy, it's fake faith. And fake faith doesn't produce anything except disappointment. So a lot of people, they have quote unquote tried to believe for something apart from God's will and it didn't happen and so they said, oh, you know, all of that faith preaching, all that faith teaching, you know, that doesn't really work. Well, faith does work when you work it correctly in the will of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Then again, prayer. Prayer does not change God. And prayer and fasting does not change God's mind. Well, I'm just going to fast until God answers my prayer. That's not a fast. That's a hunger strike. And God will let you just go ahead and die, you dummy. And when you get to heaven, he'll tell you, listen to Brother John's messages on YouTube. <laughs> no, maybe not, but he'll tell you, <laughs> he'll tell you, you know, you didn't need to do that, you see. Martin Luther said this, 
Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of his willingness. When we pray, our intention, our intention should not be to alter the will of God for our lives, but to process the plan of God for our lives. See, prayer opens the door to God and gives him access into our situation so that he is allowed to work out his will in your life. Are you out there today? Amen. So you, you can pray for hours and hours and hours. You can go climb Mount Saramati if that makes you feel good. You, you, can, you can, you know, whatever. You can have little candles, you know. You can have music in the background. You can burn incense or something. You can, you can have angel's wings. It doesn't matter. If you're outside the will of God, you're wasting your time. There's been a lot of wasted time in the body of Christ. F.F. Bosworth said this. Let me, let me back up. The more you align yourself with God's will, the more he can work. See, God's not going to change his will for you. And you're wasting your time trying to persuade him to change his mind. He ain't going to change his mind. But what you and I can do is we can bring ourselves into alignment with his will. And the more we do that, See, we might do it in a measure here. We might do it a little bit here. We might do it a little bit there. And you think, well, I pretty much got it. No, 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 there's so much more. You start in every area of your life conforming to his will, then what happens? God can work more. So in other words, the reason why God's not working very much in the lives of some Christians is they're not really walking in the light. They're not really walking in the will of God. At the intersection where his will meets your submitted will, grace is found. So again, this is what we're going to say earlier. F.F. Bosworth again said this. If you want what God wants for the same reason he wants it, you are invincible. Woo, let me say that again. If you want the same thing that God wants for the same reason that he wants it, there's no stopping you. At that place, at that place of being submitted, you need to grab this concept. If you want to be powerful in God, you must be submitted to God. Being rebellious is being weak. Jesus is our example in all things. Nobody walked in the measure of anointing. Nobody walked in the same measure of authority. Nobody lived in the same measure of miracles as Christ. And he was completely submitted to his Father in all things. See? So you can read about miracles. You can pray for miracles. You, you, can, you can confess miracles. But if you're out of the will of God you're going to have a very small measure of God's grace. However, outside of God's perfect will, things don't work perfectly. The reason some Christians struggle and flounder in life is they're not in the place that God prepared for them. They're just doing what they want to do. And God loves you and God wants to help you and, and God will bless you as much as he can. 
but you're never going to really live life to the fullest, not the abundant life, until you are in the perfect will of God. Some believers are trying to do things God did not ask them to do. I see this all the time, especially, you know, in, 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 in this part of the world. People are trying to do things, and God didn't tell them to do that. They're not called. They just acted presumptuously. You know, that can be dangerous. I said, that can be dangerous. Uh, a few years ago, the son of a pastor, a pastor that I know, the son of a pastor called me on the phone, a telephone in America, and he was discouraged. He was down. And because a friend of his, it was actually the, the, I think it was actually the brother of a very close friend of his, but close enough. A friend of his attempted to preach the gospel to the people in the Adaman and Nicobar Islands. And he was killed by the local tribes people there. And I, I'm not sure, but I think even now, I, maybe I'm wrong about this, but last time I checked, even now, they never recovered even his body. The people there on the Adam and Nicobar Islands, they took his body and they, maybe they buried it somewhere on the beach and you know, can't retrieve it. So here's the question. Why did not God, why didn't God protect this young man with a great passion to share the love of Christ with others. Why didn't God preserve his life? I mean, it seems very sad. He went to preach the gospel, not just to make money or something like that, or just, you know, he went there for a very good reason. And he was killed. Well, there's a lot of things only heaven knows, and no one could know except God and, and that person, perhaps. But the more I learned the facts of that case, you know, as I began to look it up and stuff and talk to my friend, uh, this pastor's son, the more I began to wonder, did God send this young man to that place? Or did he just take it upon himself to go? You know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. Think about that. I can't do anything just alone, on my own initiative, by myself. So how much more is that true concerning you and me? If Jesus never ministered, never acted independently, it would be the sheer height of foolishness for you to think you can do that. Well, I'm just going to go. Then you're going to go alone. Are you listening to me? Yeah, but, but, but wait a minute. You know, we're talking about the will of God. Didn't, didn't Jesus command us to take the gospel to all the nations? It, didn't he do that? Yeah. But you see, the great commission is for the entire body of Christ, not just you alone as an individual in the body of Christ. That mandate is for, for believers everywhere. God's not sending you to every nation. He's sending the next person sitting next to you to every nation and, and the next person to every nation. Then, then, then however many Christians there are, that's how many people will be traveling to every nation. No, he's just asking you to go where he tells you to go. Are you listening to me? Think about this. I'll never read to a, ver a verse to you from Romans chapter one, verse 10, the New International Version. Paul said, I pray 
that now at last, by God's will, notice that, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Same verse in the King James Version says, that I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God. We're talking about the will of God. That I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. I don't think, maybe you disagree, but I don't think getting killed and not even having a chance to preach the gospel is a prosperous journey. What's wrong? Well, maybe it wasn't in the will of God. Though Paul, the apostle, Paul stood in that office as an apostle, he did not minister wherever he pleased. Come on, some people are nagging. This, this, they are blind to this fact, and that's why they're struggling. You've got to understand this. If you don't understand this, you may waste your whole time here on earth. Even though Paul was called an apostle, and in fact, in Colossians chapter one, I think it's verse one, he said, by the will of God, I'm an apostle. He didn't go wherever he wished. If the Lord did not open the door for him, he did not proceed. If Paul could just go wherever he pleased, why in Romans chapter one, verse nine and 10, why did he say that I'm praying without ceasing about this? Why bother praying? Just, just go. If you've got the plane ticket, the boat ticket, you know, whatever it is, just go. No, 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 no. He was led by the Spirit of God. Amen? Sometimes we do know what to do, but we don't know when to do it or how to do it. So we have part of the will of God, and we run off and try to make it happen and fall flat on our face. Why? Because you're operating on incomplete information. Sometimes, you know, some, Moses knew, Moses knew that God chose him to be a deliverer for Israel. He knew that. It came into his heart. So he tried to do it and fell flat on his face, failed, failed. Why? Because that was not God's method and that was not God's time. But aren't you glad he's a God of a second chance that even if you fail miserably, God doesn't give up on you. You may be living on the backside of the desert right now and think that, oh, well, I missed my chance. No, no, your burning bush is coming. I'm telling you, God can open the door for you. Hallelujah. It's not over. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Are you listening to me? But we're talking about the will of God, the plan of God. Even if our intentions are noble, even if we have the best intentions, it's dangerous to wander from God's will. Think about this verse, uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. Proverbs 18, 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. I think for our purposes, it wouldn't do any injustice to the scripture to rephrase that verse this way. Listen to this and see if you can agree with it. The will of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it, and there he's safe. Hallelujah. It is outside the fortress that we are vulnerable. It is there where the enemy will attack us. In fact, you should know this, that is part of the devil's strategy. 
to lure you out from that place of grace so there he can work his mischief. In fact, let me tell you this. He's waiting. I'm talking about the devil. He's waiting for you to make that mistake. He's waiting for you to make that mistake. Don't do it. As I live, I will stay in the will of God for my life. Hallelujah. I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be a mystery that people are wondering about. What about that guy? No, I want to be someone who walks in the light of the word and the revealed will of God. Amen? God's best blessings are found in his perfect will. So don't settle for anything less. I like something Keith Moore said, very simple, but it's so profound. If it isn't quite right, it isn't right. Well, this is almost, I mean, it, it's, it's close. No, no, no. Don't go for close enough, almost. You want to be right in the middle of God's perfect will for you. You cannot claim God's best if you're not living in his best. Come on, you may know the Bible backwards and forwards and you've been in church all your life. It doesn't matter. If you step outside of that tower, you're vulnerable. The enemy's going to attack you. Come on. Hallelujah. So we need to know the mind of the Lord in all of these matters before we make decisions. Hmm? In the book of Joshua, we read about the Gibeonites. They were a tribe of people living in Canaan's land during the conquest led by Joshua. And fearing that they would be slaughtered, annihilated by the Israelites, the Gibeonites pretended not to be from Canaan's land, but to be from a far distant country, you see. And they wore threadbare clothes, like old clothes. And they put moldy bread in their bags to give a false impression, you see. I know some rich people that come to church and dress real shabbily because they don't want anybody to know they have money. But that's another topic. <laughs> and so when the Gibeonites met Joshua, they asked for a peace agreement. You know, let, let's, let's, make a, let's make a covenant. Let's make a treaty. And the Israelites listened to their story, and it seemed plausible. And they observed their belongings, their clothes, you know, the, their food. It was all moldy and stuff like that. And so they, they struck a deal. We'll not harm you. Okay, fine. And Joshua 9.14 includes this little phrase. It says the Israelites did not ask counsel from the Lord. Amplified says they did not consult the Lord. They based their decision on what they observed. And they were duped. They were tricked. Later, just three days later, they learned that actually the Gibeonites, they're, they're your neighbors. They're not from some other side of the globe. They're, they're from here, you see. And they should have been wiped off the map. But it was too late now. And so it's actually kind of interesting so because they had made a covenant, they said, we have sworn 
to the Lord that will not hurt you or harm you. They honored that, which is amazing. It shows you the kind of integrity those people had. You know, a lot of people would say, well, we signed a contract, but then I found out he lied to me, so no, no contract, no agreement. No, they said, no, it, it's not about you, it's about the Lord. We swore, we made a promise to God that we'll do this. Whether you, whether you lied or not, we're gonna, we're gonna honor that. It's interesting, isn't it? But that's another topic. You just throw that in for bucksheesh. All right, so praise the Lord. So many Christians, and I don't know if they're here today. Don't raise your hand. Many Christians, you know, they'll, do, they'll, they'll make decisions. Like maybe they'll launch out into a new business venture. They'll, they'll sink their money or place their money in an uncertain investment. And, and there's nothing wrong with investments. Actually, all investments are uncertain. It's funny. Wall Street calls it securities. That's a laugh. There's nothing secure <laughs> on Wall Street. <laughs> Praise the Lord, you know. That doesn't mean you can't be an investor, but I'm just saying. Or maybe because of the promise of a better paying job, they'll just uproot their family and move, you know, across the country to some other city or maybe even another country. But here's the point. And they don't even ask the Lord about it. They don't confer with God they don't even pray about it. See? We need God's guidance in all we do. But especially in life-changing decisions. And you know why you don't pray? Because you know what he's going to say, and that's not what you want to hear. That's why sometimes, sometimes it's helpful to counsel with people, you know, like in the ministry. A lot of times it's a waste of time. Because people have already decided what they want to do. They're coming to you as a show, as a pretense to say, I met with Pastor John, you know. And a lot of times, they actually want you to give them a certain answer. Well, this boy is not a Christian, but uh, he promised to go to church, so is it okay if I marry him? Well, no. Oh, so then they, that's not the answer they want. So they'll go meet with Pastor Doohickey and ask him what he thinks. He says the same thing. That's what the Bible says. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So, no. so they'll go to, to, to Pastor, you know, Duwa or Pastor Dumbfunny. Uh, there's a lot of rent-a-pastors in Nagaland, so it won't be hard to find one. And, and, and they'll try to find someone who will give them the answer they want to hear. And they'll say, oh, I've heard from God. They're looking for permission to disobey the Lord. Amen. And if you don't give them the answer they want to hear, they get mad. That's why some of you are mad right now. <laughs> so, you know, you're going to make a life-changing decision. God loves you more than anybody you know. He's wiser than anybody you'll ever meet. He's willing to help you more than anybody alive. Why not ask him, what should I do? If you only lean on your own understanding, your own... Just rely on your noggin. You know what your noggin is, right? It's that bump that sits up on the top of your neck. If you only rely on your own human logic, the Gibeonites are going to cheat you. This is Nagaland. We got lots of Gibeonites out here. This is Northeast India. We, we, got, we got, you know, lacks of Gibeonites around here. Okay, you're too quiet. Maybe you're offended. Maybe I'm sipping on your toes. Maybe this is just what you need. All right, thank you, Jesus. I'm going on. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. Listen, if I don't make you uncomfortable, you haven't been to church. The air conditioning is to make you comfortable. Pastor John is to make you uncomfortable. Because <laughs> if you're never challenged, you'll never grow. 
I didn't come here to win Mr. Nagaland popularity contest. I, I couldn't, I'm not running for election. No one would ever vote for me. I know that. I don't care. I came to, I want to sleep with a clear conscience tonight. I just want to know that I've done my best to say what God wants said. That's all I want. Whether you like it or not, it's not my problem. Amen. I'd rather be best friends with the Holy Ghost than best friends with everybody in Dimapur. Let's see, who else can we offend? Raise your hand if I haven't, raise your hand if I haven't got to you yet. <laughs> Amen. I'm, I'm conscious of how people feel. Don't misunderstand me. Well, wait a minute. Why didn't God alert Joshua? Why didn't he thunder from heaven and tell Joshua, you're making a mistake. Don't do this. These people are cheaters. They're liars. Why didn't God do that? God will not intrude into your affairs uninvited. Well, if God didn't want me to go there, go there, he would just stop me. He would cause the train to be canceled or, or cause, you know, the, the flight to be, you know, delayed or something. No, 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 no. God does not mess with your life just for fun. He will not intrude into your affairs uninvited. And by the way, if you were godly, you would do the same thing. Oh, my Oh my, did you know the Bible talks about busybodies, meddlers and other people's affairs? Did you know the Bible says work, eat your own bread, and mind your own business? Someone should preach that message to every street corner in Nagaland. Work with your own hands, eat your own bread, mind your own business. Maybe we should stop and make a con congregational confession right now. <laughs> work with your own hands, eat your own bread, mind your own business. Long before there was an internet, everybody in Nagaland knew everybody's business. The people in Dimapur know more about me than I know about myself. <laughs> Mind your own business. Mind your, come on, you want to give advice. Oh, I could preach another, somebody needs to hear this. You want to give advice to all your neighbors. Look at your own life, it's a mess, it's a train wreck. What business have you giving advice to anybody? <laughs> Why would I listen to you? I've had, oh, I'm getting, I'm telling you, somebody's gonna, not going to like this. I've had people try to give me ministerial advice. Now, this is what you need to do. You know, this is how you should do it. And I look at their church. I got 10 people on Easter Sunday. Why should I listen to you? Why should I bother listening to you? Huh? You can't rub two rupees together. You want to give financial counsel. Ha, 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 ha. I'll give you some counsel. Work with your own hands. Eat your own bread and shut up. That's my translation. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I just don't feel you're angry enough. I need you to go some more. <laughs> Hallelujah. Much is lost. Much is lost in our lives because we don't stop and confer with the Lord. And, and, and I think we may, I don't know about you, but sometimes we have this opinion or this thought in our heads that, you know, to, to hear from God, to, to get direction from him, you know, we got to, it's going to take like weeks or something like that. Or, or you know, we got to, you know, we, we uh, it's going to be a long process and who has time for that? No, 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 no. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. It's amazing. And I can say many times in my life, I just stopped and, and said, Lord, what should I do about this? And, you know, 
right away, pretty quickly, suddenly I saw this is what I need to do. Amen. Some of my most effective prayers were just me saying to God, help me. And he did. See, I think you're, you're not praying, you're making speeches with your eyes closed. You're, you're, you're like addressing the United Nations. Oh, God of Abraham, Isaac, and who on earth are you talking to? What are you, nobody understands you. You don't even understand what you're saying. <laughs> don't do that. Amen. Don't do things for show. Be sincere, be earnest, be, keep it real. Keep it real. Amen. <laughs> so, it is, I'm afraid you're not going to like this either. <laughs> it is the epitome of arrogance to reject God's plan for your life in favor of your own. To know the will of God and yet dismiss it is tantamount to saying, I know better than God what I should do. When you dismiss his plan, choose your own plan, you're basically saying without using words, I'm right, God's wrong. <laughs> that is the epitome of arrogance. And the Bible says God opposes the proud. Hallelujah. In fact, we're all together. I mean, I, 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 go th I live this out and then I tell you about it. <laughs> In fact, because God loves you, he will resist you when you are out of his will. I know it seems crazy to you, doesn't it? Because God loves you, he will resist you. He will oppose you. He will stop you. He will thwart you. He will hinder you because you're going out of his will. You see, if God blessed your ideas, your plan, your thoughts, then you would never be motivated to seek him. You would never stir yourself up to discover his plan for your life. You would just go along, you know, content out of God's will. I know you have dreams. What I'm telling you is, God's dream for you is much better. It's much bigger. It's more blessed. And the thing that might be hindering your dream from coming true is your dream. Lay it on the altar before God and say, I'll do your will. God has a dream for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Living outside God's will is the hard life. It's a hard life. You can go through, you can waste a lot of time, waste a lot of money, and be very frustrated, and nothing's working. Nothing, it's just, just frustrating, frustrating, frustrating. Why? Because you're not in the will of God. Oh, I mean, you know, you know, you're not drinking and smoking and carousing about, but you're not doing what God called you to do. Amen. Now, that's not to say that being in God's will is always a picnic. Some Christians think the opposite. If you have anything wrong, then, oh, you know, you must be out of God's will. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. The Apostle Paul, as far as I can tell, Paul lived in the perfect will of God his entire Christian life. 
I think that's a fair statement. I don't see anything that would tell me otherwise, not really. As far as I know, he always lived in the perfect will of God and he always had trouble. Everywhere he went to minister, he was greeted by the city with roses and bouquets and soft music. Now, there was a riot. <laughs> they tried to kill him. They tried to arrest him. They did do those things. They did arrest him. Hallelujah. So if being outside the will of God is hard, and you're saying sometimes being in the will of God is hard, what difference does it make? Here's the difference. When you're in God's will, grace is available. Grace is available. People turned on Paul. They, they quit him. They betrayed him. They disappointed him. But God sustained him, you see. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, he said, At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. But he went on to say, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Woo. Woo. If the Lord stands with you, you'll make it. Even if nobody else is standing anywhere near you, if God's on your side, if God's in it, if God's working for you, you can make it. You'll make it. I don't care if everybody in your family is against you. I don't care if everybody in your village hates your guts. It doesn't matter. If God stands by you and he strengthens you, you will be delivered from the mouth of the lion. Amen. But if you're outside the will of God and you are arrogantly pushing your agenda instead of God's plan, you may have lion teeth marks all over your behind. <laughs> hmm? Praise the Lord. So here's the point. We cannot determine God's will merely by circumstances. You cannot determine God's will only by circumstances. Just because it is smooth sailing at the moment doesn't mean that's God's direction for you. Likewise, just because you hit some rough waters, that doesn't necessarily mean you missed God. So how can we know? We must know. How can we know the will of God? That's my introduction, ladies and gentlemen. Now let me begin my sermon. <laughs> Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. That's a scripture I read at the beginning. You probably forgot about it. Colossians 1, 9. Let me read it one more time. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So, it must be God's will for you to know his will. It must be God's will for you to know his will. Paul would not pray for something God did not want you to have. And this is, this is scripture. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that means you can pray this prayer for yourself. You can pray this prayer for your children. You can pray this prayer for your family, or your friends. In fact, you can pray this prayer for an, an entire church. He's not just praying for like, you know, the pastor and his wife or something like that, the deacons. He's praying for the entire church. You can pray for an entire church. And God, evidently God will honor that. 
In fact, not only can you know God's will, he says that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Filled with the knowledge of his will. The Greek word for filled is plerao, plerao, crammed full, filled to overflowing. Not just knowing a little bit about God's will, you can have a super abundance of the knowledge of God's will for your life. And the Greek word for knowledge, a little technical now, the Greek word for knowledge is not the normal word. It's the word, I'll pronounce it, epignosis. Epignosis. I think you think I'm talking about pork, but it's actually a Greek word, epignosis. And it literally means, or it actually means precise and correct knowledge. So that means we're not confined to knowing God's will in a vague and general sense, just broadly speaking. See, see, everybody here knows God's will in a very general sense. Well, I know that it's God's will that, you know, you know, that, that sinners repent. And I know it's God's will that, that we believe on Jesus. Oh, that's good, but that's very vague. It's very general. God wants you to have precise knowledge of his will. What, what people in the military call actionable intel. Actionable intel. Like sometimes, you know, like in the government, they'll say something like, well, you know, they, this department was warned about a terror strike. But they'll say, yes, but it wasn't actionable intelligence. They're just telling us that we might get attacked. What do we do with that? We don't know what to do with that. But if you could tell us this person at this time, at this place, is going to do this, now we can do something about it. So that means you can know exactly what God wants you to do in every situation in life. That's worth having. That's worth having. If our knowledge of God's will is limited, our ability to please God is limited. Because we cannot do what we do not know. So you say, everybody here says, oh, I want to please the Lord. Yeah, but what you think pleases him may not be what he wants. So you're not to serve God the way you want to serve him. You are to serve God the way he wants you to serve him. Right? Praise the Lord. But as our knowledge of his will expands, the potential for more grace expands because God works everything according to his will. That's what he's working. And, and grace is God's work, his work, his help, his intervention, his influence, you see. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this, New Living Translation, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God. So this would include growing in the knowledge of God's will, wouldn't it? More grace, more divine intervention, more favor, more blessing, more help as you grow in the knowledge of God. Well, the knowledge of God would have to include what God wants, what God's will is. So as you grow in the knowledge of his will, there's more grace available to you. Hallelujah. So again, some people think like, oh, I, don't, I don't need to listen to this sermon. Just pray for me. I'd be wasting my time. You'd be wasting your time. There's no substitute for knowledge. If there was, you don't need a Bible. 
Amen? Are you still here today? I believe it's God's will that you say amen. Thank you. And Paul didn't pray this prayer in Colossians 1.9 just one time. Read that verse again. It says, from the moment we heard. As soon as he knew about these believers, he started praying for them. He prayed constantly for them. There are some prayers that you just pray once and receive by faith. The prayer of faith, you see. See, like salvation, we're saved by faith, right? Well, you don't need to every, every week pray again, oh God, please save me, oh God, please save me, this time I really mean it. No, 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 that's not how you get saved. You receive the gift of salvation by faith. But there are other prayers where you need to ask continually, even daily. The will of God is not a gift. A gift is something you can just receive. The will of God is something you have to search for. You can be instantly healed, for example, and boom, all the symptoms are gone, you're perfectly normal. But you cannot instantly know the plan of God for your life from A to Z. But what you can do is begin the process of taking steps, and you'll get more and more light. Are you out there today? Okay, I have something else to say. I don't know if you can bear it. I don't know if you can handle it. I don't know if you're ready. Uh, Do we have any deep sheep here today? Do we have any hungry souls here today? Do we have some real earnest seekers of the Lord here today? Where, Where are you? Come on, where are you? All right. Hear me out. How many of you would agree that the word of God is the will of God? Huh? You know, I've seen memes on social media, you know, you know, the guy says, I want to know your will, God. And a hand with a Bible comes down from heaven and says, read this. You know? And I mean, I, th- I probably reposted that myself, right? Okay. I believe, I believe the word of God is the will of God. So here's my question. So why did Paul pray? Why did Paul pray that these people would be filled with the knowledge of God's will? Why didn't he just say, read the Bible? And there it is. You got it. I hear nothing but people breathing quietly. Hmm? Why? I asked, is the, word of, is the word of God the will of God? And several of you raised your hand. The rest of you are afraid to raise your hand. But nonetheless, I know that's what you're thinking, yes. So why didn't Paul say, well, I want you to know God's word, so read the Bible. Or say, well, they didn't have the whole New Testament. Well, well why not just say, okay, read this letter. Actually, he did say that. In Colossians 4.16, he told them, read this letter out loud. So why pray? Okay, if you can handle it, I'll give you a little more. I don't want your chicken to get cold at home, but, but hang on just a second. Why pray? Here's a clue. Here's a clue. He prayed that they would know God's will, notice this, in all spiritual wisdom, and understanding. In fact, I must say this. If I don't say this part, I think you're, you're not getting everything that you need. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Being filled with the knowledge is what you need to know. The knowledge of his will. That's what you need to know. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding is how you need to know it. The Greek word for understanding, sunesis. I didn't say sunita. I said sunesis. The Greek word for understanding literally means putting together. 
putting together. Understanding is knowing how things are related. Knowing how things are related, how one thing affects another. It is seeing the connections. Well, like if I give, it'll be given back to me. I mean, if I forgive, I'll be forgiven. If I have mercy, I'll, I'll receive mercy. Yes, understanding is seeing those connections, how that in your life there are causes and effects, how these things are related to one another. See, people without understanding, they don't see the connection. They don't see, how, what does that have to do with anything? You see? Wisdom is the ability to correctly apply knowledge. Wisdom is skill in using the resources God has given you. So knowledge is money. Wisdom is knowing how to spend it. Are you listening to me? There are many Christians who read the Bible. They know what it says, but they don't understand what it means. And they don't know what to do with it. That's why he didn't just say, read the Bible. And notice he prayed for spiritual wisdom and understanding, not natural wisdom and understanding. Listen carefully. Knowing God's will is not something that fills your head. It is something that touches your heart. It's not that God just, you know, downloads a bunch of data into your brain. There you are. You're filled with the knowledge of my will. No, he speaks to your heart. He changes your heart. I'll give you a, a couple of more scriptures, and I'll try to wrap this up. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, I'll read it quickly. 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, they're foolishness to him, and he's not able to understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually discerned. The things of God. The natural man does not receive the things of God. Well, the things of God would have to include the will of God, right? It would have to include the will of God. They are, things of God are spiritually discerned. The will of God is spiritually discerned. That's why, you, that's why you, you're so confused. That's why you don't know what to do. You're looking in the wrong place. You're looking out here somewhere. Oh, Lord, give me a sign. Don't you think that cloud looks like the word yes? No, you're looking for some kind of external feeling or something. I felt something go up and down my leg. No, someone poured their water bottle on you. They're looking, for, they're looking in the wrong place. Well, I think this is the way I've got it figured out. No, you're looking in the wrong place. The, the will of God is spiritually discerned. The word discern means to see and recognize. Like, so like I, I'm standing here and some of you, you know, I see you and I recognize who you are. See, I, I, I know who you are. I see your face, I recognize you. Some other ones, you're, you know, I don't, I don't really know you that well or something like that. Or maybe you're sitting too far for me to see clearly. So I can't see you clearly, you know. So I don't really, I don't really discern you. See, the will of God is when you see it and you say, I know what that is. I know what that is. To discern means to understand. It also means to value, appreciate, and correctly appraise something. To know that's true value. See, uh, uh, just recently, I, I, the other day I read about a, a couple, and they found this large diamond on their land. Well, well the picture, this just looks like a, a quartz or something. It's just like a stone, but it's actually a diamond. See, 
the average person couldn't tell the difference because diamonds don't come out of the earth like mounted on a ring, polished and cut. So, so when you discern something, you realize this is treasure and that's trash. When, when Jeppy and I got engaged, I didn't have a diamond to give her. But my friend, Brother Rajan Wankiti, who was very skinny, and I called him Rajan Wankiti, my friend, my friend Rajan, he, the day we got in, had an engagement ceremony, he opened up the little box, and there was this big, shiny diamond ring, and I thought, wow, that's amazing. And I said, is that a diamond? He said, no. It's fake, John. <laughs> he paid like, you know, 100 bucks for it or something like 100 rupees for it. But, but Jeppy didn't know, you know, so, so I gave it. <laughs> She's learning this for the first time. She's been wearing it all these years. <laughs> Maybe she did know, I'm not sure. Uh, she, she definitely found out later on it got milkier and milkier. That ring you gave me, that, that stone is milky looking. <laughs> See, but a trained eye would know that that's not a real diamond. A trained eye would discern it and know its value. When you have spiritual discernment, you recognize the true value of things. When you're a fool, you don't. Notice verse 15. Real quickly, the spiritual person judges all things, but he himself is judged by no one. The Greek word translated discern in verse 14 is the same Greek word translated judge in verse 15. It's the exact same word. So here's the point. Even though you are a born-again child of God, and I know you are, and even though you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, and thank God, if you live more in the natural rather than the spiritual, you won't have any discernment. I don't care if you've been to Bible college. I don't care if your mother was the woman's leader. <laughs> I don't care how long you've been going to church. If you live more, the natural man does not receive the things of God. They're spiritually discerned. Even though you are a Christian, if you're more a natural man then a spiritual man, you won't see and recognize God's will. You won't understand it, and you'll never appreciate it. But the spiritual man understands the true value of all things, even though nobody understands his value. So here's the thing. One characteristic of being spiritual Spiritual, spiritual doesn't just mean you speak in tongues. The Corinthians spoke in tongues, and Paul said, you are babies, you're carnal, you're fighting among one another. The spiritual man, not just someone who's read the Bible, that, that's great, but that's not enough. The spiritual one, the spiritual person is the one who, who's, who allows his spirit to be the dominant force in his life. His spirit is the dominant force that's what it means to be spiritual. This one characteristic of being spiritual is knowing and understanding God's will. So when you say, I just don't understand God's will. I can't figure it out. Well, what you're telling us is, I'm very carnal, actually. <laughs> and now it's really quiet. 
ushers, please lock the doors and uh, bolt the front door. And <laughs> if you don't start saying amen, I'm going to turn that AC off. <laughs> okay, real quick, real quick, real quick. Mark 8, 17. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? By the way, notice that Jesus, you know, he spoke kind of rough with these guys. The disciples, real quick, the disciples forgot to pack bread on the journey. And as they're, they're, they're on the boat going across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus told them, beware of the leaven. You know what leaven is, right? Like the yeast you put in dough. Beware of the leaven of Pharisees. And the disciples talked among themselves and said, uh, he said that because we forgot the bread. See? They thought he was scolding them. They misinterpreted the word of God. They misinterpreted the word of God. And notice this. There's a connection between, put that verse up there again, yes, there. Notice there's a connection between lack of perception and understanding and a hardened heart. The Greek word for hardened means like a stone. Dull, callous, even blind. So here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna finish. It's possible to know Jesus. It's possible to follow Jesus as these men did and have a hardened heart. See, he's saying, why don't you understand what I'm saying? Why don't you, why don't you perceive what I'm talking about? And he's really what he's saying is, it's because your heart is hardened. That's what he's saying. It's possible to be in the ministry as they were and have a hardened heart. It's possible to be in the presence of the Lord as they were and have a hardened heart. The disciples, the disciples were living morally clean lives, but they were more naturally minded than spiritually minded, and it blinded them. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, and they're worried about bread. In fact, he said to them, you were there, you saw the miracle, and you're bothered about this? Because their hearts were hardened. In fact, this is the last verse. Mark 6, 52 says, For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. It's possible to hear the voice of God. It's possible to witness a miracle and have a hardened heart. Some people say, if I could see a miracle, then I'd believe. Not necessarily. Just ask Pharaoh. Just ask Pharaoh. He'll tell you. No, it's possible to harden your heart. So here's the point. To know God's will for your life. To understand his plan. It's not just knowledge that you need. It's not just reading the Bible. That's great. That's great. It's not even just going to church. And I'm, I'm thankful that you're here. Don't misunderstand me. You have to have a tender heart. You have to have a tender heart. 
You have to turn away from sin and unbelief. And when you mess up, fess up. When you do wrong, don't delay. Come to God and say, please forgive me. And he's will. He's faithful. He's just. Hallelujah. It means you keep a clear conscience. It means you forgive others. But be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. People who are tenderhearted forgive others. The opposite of tenderhearted is hard-hearted. Unforgiveness is why you don't see the plan of God clearly. Because it's spiritually discerned. And you have to live life from the inside out. Let your spirit be the dominant force in your life. So no matter what happens, you check in here. I don't feel right about this. If you don't feel right about it, don't do it. Or I have peace about this. This feels, in my spirit, this feels right. Well, the Lord is leading you. Go ahead. Take a step in that direction. Be spiritual people. Would you stand with me to your feet? I trust you got something on this long service.